The What Would It Take podcast is co-produced by Anabaptist World and me, Ben Tapper. The views expressed here are my own and do not necessarily represent the official positions of Anabaptist World. To learn more, visit anabaptistworld.org. On Thursday, April 15th, a FedEx employee arrived at the FedEx ground facility in Indianapolis, Indiana, and immediately began yelling before randomly shooting in the parking lot. Four people were killed before he made his way inside and shot another four people. In total, eight people died before he turned the gun on himself. The victims ranged in ages from 19 to 74, and half were members of the Central Indiana Sikh religious community. This is the third mass shooting in Indianapolis alone in 2021, not to mention recent shootings in Atlanta, Georgia, Boulder, Colorado, Allen, Texas, Essex, Maryland, Orange, California, and Rock Hill, South Carolina. As we begin to see our way out of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're plunged back into the national epidemic of gun violence. Lawmakers trot out the same tired excuses for doing nothing, all the while our friends and loved ones are lost but it doesn't have to be this way. This is episode nine of the What Would It Take podcast. Join me as I ask, what would it take to find a cure for gun-related violence? Listen in. Before I jump into the meat of this episode, let me first acknowledge the continued examples of police brutality that we're witnessing. In recent weeks, we've seen footage of Lieutenant Karan Nazario being pepper sprayed and threatened during a traffic stop in Virginia. We watched as 13-year-old Adam Toledo was killed in an alley while complying with police officers' orders to stop and show his hands. We saw Dante Wright's life snuffed out during a traffic stop because the officer thought she was firing her taser when in actuality she was firing her handgun. Virginia, Chicago, Minneapolis, the evidence against policing continues to mount across the country. To those of you that are grieving today, know you aren't alone. I pray we never get used to this. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on why the police need to be abolished, check out episode two of this podcast. If you were still on the fence about defunding or abolishing the police before these last few weeks, I hope you've sobered up and are taking a frank look at the situation. You can't tell me black lives matter when I see constant news to the contrary. And I'm tired of seeing mamas crying on national TV. I'm tired of parsing out every video and wondering what the officer was thinking. I'm tired of imagining what the final thoughts of the victims were as they were taking their last breaths. The grieving never stops. And I just want to take a second and acknowledge all who've been lost in whole or in part as a result of our failed public safety system. In honor of the victims and their families, I'm going to pause in silence so we remember those whose voices can no longer be heard today. Okay, now back to the topic at hand. I remember watching the coverage of the Sandy Hook massacre and I stared at the TV screen in utter disbelief that something like that could happen. On December 14th of 2012, Adam Lorenzo walked into Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, Connecticut, and opened fire. He killed 20 first-grade students, 
and six educators, making it one of the worst mass shootings in U.S. history. I remember seeing the faces of those children on the news and imagining the terror they felt before they died. I recall thinking about the teachers and aides that were present, trying to protect and calm the children, even as they themselves were terrified and at a loss for words. I imagined the phone calls those parents must have received. The call no parent should ever have to receive. The call every parent dreads. Above all, I remember thinking, this has to change things. We can't let six and seven-year-olds get slaughtered at school and do nothing. I was wrong. That's exactly what we did. Nothing. From December 15th of 2012 to July 21st of 2020, we allowed another 2,654 mass shootings to happen in the United States. June 20th, 2016, a gunman entered the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, and killed 50 people, many of whom were part of the LGBTQ community. The Pulse nightclub shooting was the deadliest shooting in U.S. history, that is, until October 1st of 2017, when a gunman opened fire at a music festival in Las Vegas, killing 59 people. After each event, we grieved we mourned, we called for something, for anything to be done to prevent this from happening again. And still, nothing. February 14, 2018, a gunman opens fire at the Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, and kills 17 people. Once again, the nation is horrified that students have to fear for their lives when they go to school. Yet instead of enacting sensible gun control, Republican leaders and NRA talking heads bring out the good guy with a gun theory. And if you don't remember what that was, it's the utterly ridiculous notion that the only way to stop a, quote, bad guy with a gun is to make sure a good guy also has a gun. In other words, they were saying the only way to reduce gun violence is with more guns. All told, since Sandy Hook, the U.S. has had over 3,000 people die and another 11,000-plus wounded in mass shootings. What's even more shocking to me than that is that mass shootings make up just a small percentage of all gun-related deaths. They might get the most media attention, but the proliferation of firearms in this country is killing folks day in and day out, whether the cameras are there or not. And whether it's through homicides, suicides, or accidental deaths, we lose thousands of thousands of people every year due to gun violence. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in 2019 there were over 38,000 gun-related deaths. Over 23,000 of those were suicides. When we think of gun-related deaths, our minds often go to mass shootings or maybe gang-related violence, but it turns out that the vast majority of gun-related deaths are suicide deaths. Why is this problem so pervasive? Well, because we have more guns than any other country in the world. As of 2018, there were over 393 million civilian-owned firearms in the United States, which is just under half of all civilian-owned firearms in the entire world. For every 100 people in the U.S., there are 120 guns. 
Now that's nearly three times the rate of our neighbor Canada and nearly five times of another gun-friendly country, Switzerland. And when researchers control for other variables, they find that high levels of gun ownership consistently correlate to high levels of gun violence. Surprise! Not really. It seems pretty straightforward. More guns equals more gun-related death and violence. So if we know this, why are we not doing anything about it? Well, we could talk about the National Rifle Association and the grip it has had on both Democrats and Republicans for decades. We can discuss the shift in its leadership that took place in the mid-20th century that saw more hardline ideologues take over. We could even talk about the corruption and hypocrisy of the organization and the millions of dollars it pays to buy off politicians and influence elections. We could. Or we could discuss the erroneous interpretations of the Second Amendment and wonder how we got from the belief in a well-regulated militia to seemingly unchecked access to dangerous weapons. We could explore the racist roots of the Second Amendment and discuss why Ronald Reagan, the Republican governor of an open carry state, once supported a new law that would prevent people from openly carrying loaded weapons. Here's a hint. He didn't like the idea of the Black Panthers carrying weapons when they patrolled their neighborhoods. Turns out, white people are afraid of black people with guns. We could also unpack various gun control measures that most Americans support and debate the effect they have on actual gun-related violence. We could explore the links between gun-related violence and domestic violence and ask ourselves how many women and children we're putting at risk by our inability or unwillingness to regulate the sale and ownership of firearms. Any one of those topics, let alone all of them, would be worthwhile things to explore, especially as it relates to gun-related violence. And honestly, all of that has been done already. I've linked to other podcasts, articles, and resources in the show notes, so you can do your own deep dive on this issue. There are plenty of brilliant people that have asked these questions and have explored these correlations and links, and there's plenty of data out there and information for you to consume to gain a better picture of why we can't solve this problem. So I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Instead, I'm going to return to the roots of this show and ask you to imagine the world you want to live in. I'll share a vision of the world I hope to inhabit, and then I'll leave you with a question or two to help you imagine, or maybe even remember the world you want for yourself. The world you want for your children, for your lovers, for your family, or for your communities. We get so caught up in the hard realities of our time that we forget to dream. And action without vision is aimless. And vision without action is fruitless. We need both. So take some time to dream with me today so that you might catch a vision that inspires the action you'll take to end the epidemic of gun violence. I dream of a world in which the Constitution is not more important than the lives it's designed to serve. I dream of a world in which we don't need armed guards and security forces at our schools and hospitals. And instead of being greeted by guns, we're greeted with love, respect, and care. I dream of a world in which you can go to a concert without fear of losing your life. I dream of a world in which we're not so paralyzed by fear of property loss that we think we have to own a firearm to protect our things against real or imaginary foes. I dream of a world in which the founding document of our nation is not rooted and steeped 
and white supremacy. I dream of a world in which I don't have to see a handgun on someone's hip when I go into a grocery store because it doesn't make me feel safe. I dream of a world with fewer weapons. A world in which we understand real versus perceived risks and we act accordingly. A world in which those who need to protect themselves can do so safely and those who are likely to be perpetrators of violence know that they don't need a weapon and they refrain in order to keep others safe. The same way that those who are addicted to alcohol or narcotics might refrain to keep their loved ones safe. I dream of a world in which we smile more than we cry and we laugh more than we weep. I dream of a world in which our elected officials aren't beholden to disconnected special interest groups. I dream of a world in which we don't have to keep naming these acts as senseless and deplorable. We can do a lot of things to shift our reality. We can take steps to ensure fewer widows and orphans are created. And I dream of a world that is safe for everyone. A world that protects those in need of protection, that restores those who are perpetrators of violence. A world that doesn't sacrifice the joy of our youth or the wisdom of our elders on the altar of freedom for white men. Those are some of my dreams. I invite you now to take a moment, take a few breaths, maybe grab a pen or open up a new document on your computer. And tell me the world that you dream about. What does safety look and feel like in this world that you're dreaming of? Maybe pause the podcast here and just do some journaling and reflection for a few moments as you imagine what safety can look and feel like in this visionary world. It may feel counterintuitive to dream at a time like this, but I think that's when we need it most. A dear friend of mine shared a passage from Howard Thurman a couple weeks ago, and it feels even more pertinent now. This passage comes from his work for the Inward Journey. Howard Thurman writes, Our dreams must be saddled by the hard facts of our world before we ride them off among the stars. Thus they become for us the bearers of the new possibility, the enlarged horizon, the great hope. Even as they romp among the stars, they come back to their place in our lives, bringing with them the radiance of the far heights, the lofty regions, and giving to all our days the lift and the magic of the stars. There's a lot to learn about this issue of gun violence, and I encourage you to visit the show notes and do a deeper dive for yourself. Let this inform the action you take but don't forget to bring your dreams with you. Let your dreams bring the radiance of the stars back with them, even as they are saddled by the hard facts of our world. And may your hope infect your dreams and inspire your actions. So what would it take to find a cure for gun-related violence? Well, we've got some answers, so now let's get started. Thank you for listening to the What Would It Take podcast. To view the source material for this episode, check out the show notes. If you'd like to find more great content from Anabaptist World, visit anabaptistworld.org. And if you want to learn more about me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Benjamin J. Tapper. Mm-hmm.